0: Direct from Fort Meade, Maryland, this is DINFOs Live. Welcome back to another episode of DINFOs Live. I'm Lieutenant Jack Georges, an instructor at the Defense Information School, and I'll be your host for today's show. Uh Uh-oh, it looks like we have some bad weather rolling into the studio. I think we better get started before it gets any worse. Good. It's over. And, and you know what? We're ready for it. And it's important for a public affairs or communication strategy professional to be ready because being prepared for it is everything. Uh, when the unexpected happens, we need to be able to communicate quickly. You may face a weather emergency or you may find yourself confronted with another type of crisis. Maybe there's been a plane crash, a data breach, a personnel scandal or even financial misuse. No matter what the crisis may be, our organizations need to be ready to communicate before, during and after the crisis. I have two incredible guests joining me today to help us be better communicators in times of crisis. Commander Matthew Kroll, Coast Guard Chief of Media Relations. Sir, welcome. Thanks for having me. And Ms. Karen Nauman, an instructor at the Defense Information School. Ma'am, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, and learning about your public affairs experience in crisis comms. Uh, but before we get into that I'd like to introduce our social media monitor for today, Sergeant
1: Benjamin Witten. How's it going? It's going good sir. We're talking about crisis responses today.
0: We are talking about some crisis communication and I, I know that you've been a social media monitor for the show before.
1: I, I have been in a number of times and I actually had a crisis I had to deal with this morning. So I was making breakfast right, I get my pancake batter all mixed up and then I get to the part where I need milk and there's no milk. That is definitely a crisis.
0: crisis. I I agree completely. Uh, Well, thanks for supporting the show today. I can tell that we're going to do just fine. We're going to be amazing. And throughout the show, uh, staff Sergeant Sergeant Witten will be monitoring social media for us. So if you have a question for our guests, type them into the chat and we might just read it on the air. All right, so let's do this. Now, to get started, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers?
2: Great. Well, thanks. Uh, I'm Commander Macroll, as you said, the last couple of years, I was the regional public affairs officer for the Coast Guard on the West Coast. Uh, and part of that, I was a crisis communication team lead uh, that took me all over the country for different incidents and emergencies. So um, lots of experience uh, with the emergency communications, crisis communications, and um, hopefully I can share some with that today. Um, I'm also a DINFOS graduate, um, three classes so far at DINFOS and and hopefully adding to that here, uh, you know, as I continue to to grow, and uh, right now I'm the Chief of Media Relations for the Coast Guard Headquarters down in Washington, D.C. Fantastic. Yeah.
3: Well, uh, my name's Karen Naupin. I have nearly 30 years of experience in public affairs and communications. A lot of that involved crisis communications. Uh, Currently, I am an instructor here at DINFOS, and I have the privilege of teaching in the joint contingency course as well as the joint intermediate course where we teach crisis communications.
0: That's right and we teach together sometimes and it's great to have uh, the schoolhouse here and also experience from the field. I'm really looking forward to it. We've got a a ton of uh, knowledge here and I think it's going to be wonderful for our uh, audience out there listening in. So to start off, let's just talk a little bit about the difference between issues, emergencies, disasters and crises because they aren't all the same.
3: Right, that's a great question because they're often conflated. Um, The way I would uh describe that as an issue, as an emerging trend or development, real or perceived, that's partially in uh, the public sphere. And if you don't manage that well for your organization, it could have a significant impact. Emergency response, uh, Commander Kroll going to talk a lot about that. Um, think of an act of God or something that needs an immediate attention, and it has a, a generally a low risk impact to your organization. However, if you botch that response, it could become a crisis. And a crisis, as you may imagine, is uh, unwanted attention on your organization, and it will have a serious impact on the reputation, and relationships your organization has with key stakeholders.
2: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, two, two things I'd like to add, just to help people kind of wrap their head around it, is uh, with an issue, there's normally a disagreement or a difference of opinion on how to handle something. And that, that that disagreement could be that there even is a problem or there isn't. So that disagreement is kind of where that issue lives. How do you move forward from there? Um, things kind of become a crisis at some point when you start to lose a little more control as an internal organization. And just like Ms. Nauman said, your response to an emergency isn't necessarily a crisis, but as you start to lose control of of how that response is being perceived or even your authorities to continue to respond, then you're losing that control. It's going somewhere else outside the organization, and now you find yourself in a crisis situation.
0: Yeah, and I mean, obviously we don't want to lose control and you know, to the extent that we can, and we don't want to just sit around waiting for a crisis to happen and then decide to do something. So how can a public affairs communication strategy professional begin to prepare?
3: Well, I know you're a sports fan. I am. (laughs) Have you heard (laughs) the best offense is a good defense? And so a lot of what you're going to do before crisis happens is prevention and preparation. To the, the most extent you can prevent the crisis from even happening, please do that. And then there's a lot of preparation you can do in advance and I know Commander Kroll can elaborate on that.
2: Yeah, sure, so we, we also follow the RPI process just like we would for any other communications and that first step of research is critical because you need to figure out where those risks are, where those vulnerabilities are and start steering the company or the organization away from making a bad decision that may lead to a crisis um, or setting those expectations of what would happen uh, and what the public would expect from your organization. So finding out what those are, determining what the likelihood they're going to, that they could actually occur, and then the impact that could have on the organization. That's like the first step. You got to figure out what those are so you know where to to, um, focus your energy. Um, And also there's a whole field of study of crisis communications. Um, start reading some about about some of those. Start looking at what what's been uh, how things have been handled in the past. There's academic theories. There's different tactics you can use. All of these have, are already in place. You don't need to reinvent the wheel, but you need to know where to look to find those resources.
0: Absolutely, in a, a good place where people can look for some reading articles, best practices for that is Pavilion. So out there, please go ahead and feel free to to check out Pavilion. A lot of good content on there. Um, now, research, you know, talked about understanding what issues are out there, your stakeholders. Um, planning, they, the second letter in RPI, uh, what kind of plans can we put in place? What does that look like to you when you do that?
3: Well, they have a lot of checklists and templates on Pavilion, as we mentioned. But a crisis management plan for your organization would be dependent on your organization and type of crisis as you're going to... Uh, deal with. One thing I would suggest is to the extent possible that you could prepare products ahead of time, maybe templates of digital press kits, web pages that aren't live that you will just update and then immediately go, so that you're not updating in the moment of the crisis.
2: Yeah, you, you really think a lot more clearly without the crisis going on. So just simply walking your steps through of what you would do if, if this were to happen And writing those down so if a checklist doesn't really match up with you you can always adapt one and say okay i wouldn't really need to make that one but i would want to make this call and make sure this person's notified i would want to make sure i have this template working through that when you're nice and calm in a controlled environment and you might have two three four five days to think about it is going to save you so much more headache because when a crisis actually occurs you're not going to be able to remember all of that you're just going to be running around uh, responding And, and that's not what you want to be you want to have something in place that's going to help you focus that energy, because every minute's going to count when a crisis actually occurs. And That's did a-
3: you know that in when your brain is under a lot of trauma and distress, that the ability to process and make good decisions can be reduced almost to 80 percent?
2: That makes perfect sense to me. And anyone who's had to, to uh, deal with a crisis, like getting that first phone call and having to, to kind of start the ball rolling, you'd probably be in that same fog. It's uh. It's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. So that preparation really is key. There's mental preparation, like we're talking about what what you're actually going to do and have that plan in place. But there's that physical preparation of mm-hmm. having those templates out, having those checklists in place, having your your contacts already updated and knowing that their numbers are correct because those calls are going to save you uh, lots of time and lots of headache if they're correct and you can get everybody kind of working in the same direction as soon as you can.
0: Yeah, we definitely want to do everything we can to give us a leg up when the, the crisis strikes. And, um, you know, I'm just thinking about uh, when we have to communicate in a time of crisis, we might have valuable information that we need people to hear. And, and to me, I hear, I hear that, I say, oh, credibility, that's important. So how do we build credibility before a crisis becomes, you know, at our front door?
3: Well, the way I think about it is think about it as your rainy day savings account. That's your relationship with the stakeholders. You want to be, before a crisis happens, putting into that savings account so that if you have to make a withdrawal during a crisis, you have some funds There and then, after the crisis, you need to build that back up.
2: Yeah, I'd say a big part of that credibility is familiarity and uh, staying in your uh, analogy of a bank account. If if I were to hand you a check and you recognize the bank, the bank number or the bank name on it, you'd probably say, "Okay, this is a credible check." If I hand you something that says, you know, Matt Kroll's, you know, federal fund, uh, you probably wouldn't trust that so much. So you've got to make sure that whoever's going to be representing your company or your organization or just your organization as a whole is a familiar entity with the public. So getting them out there, getting those, those press releases out for um, just routine operations, for um, really any, any sort of communication that you put out proactively can build to that, that saving funds that we're talking about. Um, if you're able to tie it to like a bridging statement and say, uh, you know, we have a vulnerability for like this may happen, this is why we're training, something similar happened, it was a success, because our crews are trained in number one, and, uh, and so you can count on us to, to, to do the same thing if another crisis were to happen.
0: That's right, credibility and trust, hand in hand, gotta build that over time.
1: Uh, Sergeant Wynn, do we have anything coming to us from social media? We do have a couple of things on social media. We have, uh, question one, we have, how can we as DOD personnel do a better job at working with interagencies?
3: That's a great question because we tend to focus on when we're doing our planning training to focus on training within our organization. And it's really important that you also train with the other organizations that are going to be responding to that likely crisis with you.
2: Yeah, I'd say uh, t- to add on to that, there are there are methods in place already that we call the incident command system. Um, that is what the Coast Guard uses because that's what most of the uh, the local fire PD, um, state, local, uh, federal, we all kind of use this same incident command system and it, and it gives us the same uh, terminology, the same structure, the same forms, which sounds kind of silly, but when you're running in a crisis and you need, every, need to make everything kind of work very quickly, having that, that set in place really helps. So if you're not familiar with ICS, um, it is a, it's an already established way that'd be a very easy way for someone in the DOD just to study up on. There's plenty of courses online. FEMA offers a bunch of courses. There's the Emergency Management Institute that offers a bunch of courses. Um, And they can be online or in person, but it just gives you that exposure to it so that if you do show up and you're doing sort of a, uh, uh, let's say a hurricane response, you're going to at least know what's going on and be able to catch up to speed a lot faster.
0: Yeah, that's a really good idea. Anything we can do to expand our skill set, And DOD communicators often don't have the same interagency experience as some of our... Uh, brethren who are are working in with the uh, civilian authorities. Now, crises, uh, they're not all our fault, but maybe people perceive it to be our fault and maybe sometimes it is. So how do you think about uh, communicating and relating to your stakeholders when they think it is your fault or, or, or it is your fault?
3: That's a good question. You brought up, there's a lot in academia that's called attribution theory, but I won't bore you with that. What I will explain to you but any parent of a teenager can understand. If your teenager skips school because there's a hurricane, you don't blame them for that. They didn't intend to skip school. If your teenager misses school because their car won't start, of course it's the car that they won't maintain properly, they're partially to blame. If your teenager skips school because it's senior skip day, you are going to blame them and hold them culpable for that decision and you are their major stakeholder.
2: Yeah, the, the decision point is that's, that's key right there. So if, if it appears to the public that a choice or a decision that either you or the organization made didn't work or made something worse, they're gonna hold you accountable for it. So hurricane happens, really no decision on that teenager of what they could do. So you're not really gonna hold them accountable. But senior ditch day, you made a choice to not go to school. So now it's your fault. Whether it's true or not, that perception is gonna become the reality um, so you just need to be aware of how much we need. When something happens, you think, okay, well, what was in our control? Did we do everything right? Or do we make some choices? Let's make sure the public knows what choices we had and what choices we made and what was beyond our control and kind of setting that, those expectations very early will help hopefully alleviate some of that uh, blame that's unnecessary.
0: Yeah, I think you're talking about setting expectations, making sure that you're communicating goes a long way into either acknowledging uh, blame or being able to you know, correct the record to the extent that you can. And, you know, we talked about some practices we can put in place to establish a crisis management plan. And so you've done all that. How frequently, how often, who's involved when you're training for something like this?
2: Well, I'd say as often as you need to, and I know that's kind of a cheap answer, but uh, it's it's true. So um, if you look at a plan and you just read it over and you're like, okay, nothing's really changed. It's probably still good then it might, it might still be safe, and you don't need to do that very often. Um, other plans, they might need to be updated a lot more regularly, depending on what what's changing in your environment. If a policy has changed, if your equipment has changed, if your information environment has changed, um, if you think about how would we respond to something pre-pandemic versus post-pandemic, completely different in terms of what resources, where the communication would be, all of that's completely changed. So almost every comms plan that we had, at least in, in my experience, once the pandemic hit, we had to kind of take all those down and look at from square one, what's still relevant, what's not. Um, hurricane plans, hurricane season's coming up in just a few days here. Um, the last couple of months, Coast Guard units across the country, most specifically in uh, the, the Gulf and the, the Atlantic coast there, have been dusting off their plans, running through them, tabletops, full-scale exercises, um, different scenarios, just making sure that they're still relevant and that they're ready for what should be another hurricane season coming up here very shortly.
3: 100%, but always consider yourself in a mode of watching out for issues, issues management and trying to prevent crises.
0: Yes, I think that's, yep, always be scanning and and identifying what's out there, what could be a trouble spot. Now we talked about preparing a plan Right, we talked about practicing that plan. Well, now the crisis hits, right? And so those first few minutes, hours, or even days as the crisis onsets, what's your thought process?
3: Well, I look at it as an echelon of communications um, and you definitely have a first few minutes. It's no longer is there a golden hour yeah. per se. Um, the information that you need to get out really quickly is any information that involves saving people's lives or making sure they're safe then you can worry about information that's adjusting information about attribution or setting the record straight Um, then finally as your the crisis is wrapping up you can worry about uh, information that's about restoring that that relationship with your stakeholders
2: yeah you definitely need to establish that that line of communication early and and get out in front of everything Um, usually what we do is we put out what's called an incident statement which is really just an acknowledgement that something has happened very simple not even really that many details in it. It could be something as simple as, the Coast Guard is responding to a blank or a report of blank in this area, follow this thread or this this channel for uh, more updates and we'll get them out as quickly as we can. Um, that's gonna tell people, okay, if, if if I need more information, I know where to go. And that's where you can put that mm-hmm. information of, safety information is coming from here. We know what's going on now. We have safety information. Here's where it is, as opposed to putting it out and hoping that someone finds it. You have to establish that that presence as quickly as you can. Um, And at that same time, as we mentioned earlier, is is, uh, in the few minutes of a crisis, you're going to be just scattering for information. And the news is no different. They're going to be Googling every phone number they can, so limiting your stray voltage, if you will, of what other people in your organization are saying and getting them to point everybody to that single point of, of um, information sharing that you've already established, that's gonna save you lots of time and also potentially save lives if you are putting out that safety of life information.
0: That's a great bit of advice, sir. Thank you very much. And I just wanna check in with Sergeant Witten see if we got anything else from uh, social media.
1: Uh, we do got another question for social media. This one's coming from James and he's wondering how can brick and mortar media, like, uh, like a radio station or something, how can that play a role in crisis communication efforts?
0: More traditional media, that's a good question.
2: I'd say that, uh, a lot of your population in the United States still uses that traditional media. Uh, radio is a very big one. If you're talking about, uh, like let's say a hurricane evacuation, where people for a hurricane evacuation, a lot of times you're in traffic in your car. Um, we don't want people on their phones you know, while they're driving. So a lot of people have that AM station on or that, that FM news channel on. They're a really good resource to get out that information of here's the latest updates for safety information or just evacuation routes, or even if it's just listen to your local authorities coming from the Coast Guard, that's, that's a very easy way because they they're already established. And so you don't need to reinvent the wheel every single time. You gotta find that that right channel that's gonna hit the target audience that you're looking for. And for people in the cars, that brick and mortar radio station is a a really good option.
3: And traditional media, um, if you will, they're also doing a good job of making sure that it's accurate and it's not disinformation to the extent possible that they can uh, make sure that that's the case. So it's really good to, to work with them and have those information going to them
0: absolutely i mean i don't think it's a question of either or obviously the digital space is is really important but like you mentioned sir there's good cause for us to use traditional outlets as well Mm -hmm. and we should think of it together now um, you you talked about scrambling for information trying to figure it out you got to figure out a way to actually get this information out there and so i'm thinking about a joint information center Uh, you know what is it what goes into it why do we use it
3: Well, I've set up many of those, and I know Commander Kroll has a respectable, decent answer, but I'm going to tell you what's often overlooked. Healthy snacks to eat. Um, You would be surprised. There's only junk food or there's no food available and you can't leave. Um, But a little more seriously is make sure there is a place Um, that's away from the noise and away from the main attention of the center where there's a professional backdrop for online or in-person interviews and where they're not maybe picking up operational information that doesn't need to be broadcast um, for you to go that's near the actual operational center
2: yeah if you if you zoom out a little bit and you think what what is the purpose of a joint information center why would you set one up versus just running it out of your office and and the point is, is that you're trying to bring different agencies and different entities together to have one common voice. What you don't want is the Navy saying one thing, the Coast Guard saying another thing, and people are like, who do I listen to? But if we came out together and said, here it is, no matter who you trust more, who you're more familiar with, you're gonna say, okay, I have confidence that between these two, they know what's going on, I'm gonna listen and I'm gonna heed whatever warnings they're giving us. So it has to be functional overall. So if it's just you and your organization in a JIC, focus on that J aspect, get that joint in there and start inviting your other agencies in that's where that phone list comes in that you've already prepped and you know who, to, who you're going to call, get them down there and say, hey, we're, we, we're setting up a joint information center. So far, I don't have anyone from your agency. If you have anyone that can at least be our resource to even reach out to remotely, we'll take it because we want to make sure that we can include all these agencies together as we get this critical information out.
0: Yeah, light hand, uh, many hands make light work. And of course, having that 360 knowledge of the situation is incredibly important. Uh, But when we communicate, we're not just putting information out there. It's not just a fact sheet. I mean, sometimes, but uh, we're often including some type of messaging in that. And so when you think of it in terms of a crisis, do you see a life cycle for messaging? And, you know, what is kind of the most important message that we're sending?
3: I think we hit on it. Um, Safety, um, Mm -hmm. people's lives, is always the priority.
2: Yeah, and you you need to remember, and we we get desensitized a lot in just our jobs of dealing with with high-stress situations and emergencies on a regular basis, but in any crisis or any emergency, I guarantee you someone is having the worst day of their life, so you have to keep that in mind as you come up with your messaging. Um, empathy statements are really big. It's one of the first things that should come out of your commander's mouth when they go up to a press conference is just expressing that we we understand that there are people who are scared, who are angry, who are frustrated, and and move forward with that. Because until they realize, that, or until they acknowledge, until you acknowledge that their fears or their emotions, they probably will have a difficult time just reading and understanding what you're trying to tell and, or even accepting it. So you have to make that connection first um, and almost Every crisis, there's going to be some sort of victim or some sort of, um, you know, I guess bad, bad aspect of it. Just don't forget that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, you you have to acknowledge that. I think the human element of it. I agree completely. Um, now, any crisis is it's bad enough that you're you're facing this. You're already feeling overwhelmed. But what if you stack another crisis on top of it? Um, what do you do then? How do you approach that? How do you plan for that?
3: I don't. I don't think it's if you have to stack another crisis on top of it you should anticipate there's going to be another second or third order crisis think in terms of you're going to have disinformation and misinformation you have to deal with while the the original crisis is occurring
2: yeah you're going to run into i mean if your your aor your area of responsibility is anything like you know outside of one city you're probably going to be dealing with two or three crises up and down your area almost uh, on a weekly basis so Divide and conquer if you need to. Separate your teams and say, OK, you guys focus on this. You focus on that. I'll be the overarching to make sure that everybody's working together so at least we're matching. But uh, you have to. You have to identify each one because if you give messages for this crisis to this audience, they're going to dismiss you. And when you actually have something to tell this audience, they're not going to listen because they've already, they've already moved on. They found another source of information, which, which could be dangerous. So you want to make sure that you're, you're specifically targeting each crisis individually.
0: Absolutely. Great point, sir. Uh, Sergeant Winton, uh, I hear that we've got some more folks uh, out in social media land wanting to ask a question. Uh,
1: we do get another question. Uh, it's a slightly long one, so I will paraphrase a little bit. This one is coming from Gene. Uh, so phrases like thoughts and prayers get used as kind of like buzzwords, like, you know, everyone's heard it for one crisis or another. Is there a way that we could get commanders more comfortable with sharing You know, more genuine takes on things?
2: Yeah, I, um, I'm really big on this one because with emergency response for the Coast Guard, we, we often deal with, uh, with, with people not surviving, search and rescue cases, drowning. I mean, you name it, it's, it's very, very difficult at times. Um, and you don't want your empathy statement to fall flat. So uh, what I like to tell people is, is actions speak louder than words. So use action verbs. So thoughts and prayers, although they have a, a place in empathy statements, um, give me something that you've done, right? So if you look at um, what I always tell a commander is, I said, you've been out, you've been out, and you've been looking at the damage of this hurricane. What did you see? And they say, well, I saw houses ripped there off their foundation. And it's like, okay, great. Who was living in those houses? That's a family. Someone lost their whole home. How does that make you feel? And then they get that, oh yeah, I've seen it firsthand. Get that emotion across, and they can say that. They can say, I, I was out this morning looking at damage, and. I understand that people have lost their homes. This is, this is a tragic event. What I'm gonna do about that is X, Y, and Z, working with local partners and then showing what you're gonna do about it. And that will hit a lot more than just saying, yeah, it's a rough day out there for some folks. Uh, you know, we're gonna send out some crews and clean up like we always do because it's a hurricane and uh, this happens every year. So it's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. To the people who are the victims of any emergency or disaster, it is a huge deal. And, and realize that, realizing that and having them communicate that, having them just think about that for a second really helps that empathy statement. And you'll find that's a lot more natural at that point instead of just saying, oh, our thoughts and prayers. Tell them what you did this morning. Tell them what, how you interacted with. And I've even had, um, for a, a really bad search and rescue case, they wouldn't talk to the family members of the people who were missing. And, she's, and she said that. She said, she said I, I was speaking to the family members this morning. This is, a, this is a really tough case. There's a lot of families that are in a lot of pain right now. Um, looking for missing people out at sea Um, that that hurts me as as you know as a mother or as a whatever right like make that personal connection and now all of a sudden you've made you've made that draw in with the audience now tell them the information that you want to get across and they'll accept it
3: that's great advice to give your spokesperson Um, just and I would just keep in mind human nature is after you've given those health you know life-saving messages your next thing is People are going to try to make sense of what happened and why did this happen to me. So that's where that can come in with that empathy.
0: Absolutely, you got to. We all have to work on building our emotional intelligence and putting it to use, um, and really being able to express ourselves in a crisis. That's terribly important. Um, it sounds like we
1: have a lot of activity
0: on social media. Sergeant Witten, do we have another question?
1: Uh, let me see what I can dig up. We got a number of questions in here. Uh, we got this question is asking is there are there any examples you can think of of when a military unit handled a crisis very
2: well
3: <laughs> you handle crisis very well well i sure. say the coast
2: guard uh no um that's it's tough because your your best crisis that you've handled well never becomes a crisis like we were saying the, the best defense so the the best crisis communications i've seen are the ones that don't even make the papers and don't even make the news so um those are the tough ones. And those are the very tricky ones that are like maybe a, a personnel issue of something that if it, if it got out of hand, it would be a, hey, did you know that a military member was you know, arrested for doing X, Y, or Z? Uh, I thought military members had a higher standard of, of uh, you know, character. Um, maybe the whole organization you know, is, this is, this is a, a, um, a little sneak peek into that. Um, but because you've managed those, those expectations and you manage those relationships, you can kind of squash those a lot lower. Um, I know it's a lot easier when we do crisis comms training to show like a press conference that's gotten gone bad, or to show an interview where someone kind of you know went off script a little bit. Um, those are easy to to, to to you know point the finger and say, oh, see what they did wrong. Um, but a lot of the good work is done really behind the scenes, um, and so it's not so obvious.
3: And if you have an issue that you detect, you can almost look at it as an opportunity. It's an opportunity for your organization to take the lead or to work with other stakeholders to resolve that issue. So it can actually be turned into a positive.
0: Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. Um, and you know, I think there's even times where something could happen to your organization where it performs well, um, but maybe it was communicated poorly or tried to sweep it under the rug and, and you've turned it, created it into a crisis when it didn't need to be. Um, so Just getting back to the kind of the flow of the crises that we were talking about earlier, we've communicated, um, we're thinking about, um, you know, how to manage our expectations and uh, get the information, the appropriate pertinent information at the time out there. What do we, how do we approach our stakeholders after a crisis? And what is your focus?
3: I'm glad you think about after because usually when the crisis ends, we're like, I need to sleep and I never want to think about this again. But really, that's when you're gathering data, you're getting information from all of your team on the performance of your organization for institutional knowledge, but as well as reporting out with your stakeholders in a transparent way uh, what you can do better next time.
2: Yeah, and and at the same time, you're always in that pre-crisis stage whether you realize it or not. I mean, there could be a crisis in the next few minutes uh, that would pull me out of the studio because the Coast Guard would need its chief of media relations, um, and I'm going to have to deal with whatever whatever happened, um, whether I was ready for it or not. So, you're always thinking about the next crisis. You're always thinking about are we ready for the next you know the next alarm, so to speak, to go off, um, and are we ready for it? So. Uh, learning lessons learned adapting your practices updating your training whatever the case may be whatever you can do to improve and get ready for that next crisis that's what you should be doing after the uh, the last one
0: absolutely if we don't take an opportunity to learn from the present then you know we're just doomed to repeat it in the future and and if we want to get better i think we would all agree on that and, and learning from the, what we've been through is, is a good way to do that mm-hmm. so before we wrap up i would like to turn it over to you to say is there anything you'd like to add anything we missed
3: well i would say i would like if you remember anything, is that you're always in a pre-crisis phase if you're not dealing with the crisis or repairing and moving forward and improving post-crisis. And then finally, my last plug is if you've graduated from PAXQ, please come back and take our uh, joint intermediate course where we dive very deep into crisis communications.
2: Yeah, and i just like to say, uh, I kind of got into crisis communications because when I first kind of was in that role where I knew that if something bad were to happen, my commander would call me first and say, okay, Matt, what do we do? Um, it, it's, it scared scared me straight at that point. I, it was like, I need to learn this quickly and I need to be ready so that if that phone does ring. So if, if there's anyone out there who's in that same situation where like your phone is the one that's going to ring from the base commander um, or senior leadership and you're not ready for it, the, the time to get going is now. You know, there's classes, there's books, there's articles, there's exercises you can go. Just get your foot in that door, start working in that field of crisis communications, and, and the next thing you know, you won't have that, that anxiety anymore. You'll be the one that says, Commander, I know you think you're right, but trust me on this one, I've seen this before. Here's what we need to do and why. And you'd be amazed, that's a very easy way and a very big way that public affairs as a whole can show its value to senior leadership is being there during the times of crisis. Because that same fog that we were talking about, your commanders are going to be in that exact same fog. And they're thinking operationally, they're thinking safety of people, they're not thinking communication. You come in there with a simple plan, and they go, looks great, go do great things, put it to work, and you're off and running. And the next time, you know, you have that trusted value, you're already in their inner circle. so. Um, get started and Pavilion is a great place to get that first step. It
0: is a great place to get that first step and you don't have to get ready if you are ready, right? So making those plans and practicing with the plans that we have. Now, I know I asked you for your final thoughts, but uh, you have been such engaging guests that I think we have a lot of activity on social media. So, Sergeant Winton, uh, can you hit us with a few more questions?
1: All right, we got this one. It is, how can you effectively deal with misinformation that gets spread during a
2: crisis?
3: That's a whole nother class that we <laughs> teach in chi pack and I, we take another hour to answer that. But similar though, uh, there are, you're going to be scanning your environment. Um, you're going to be anticipating, you know, certain counter narratives <coughs> out there and there are ways maneuvers, so to speak that you can do online to deal with that effectively.
2: Yeah. You, you just need to set the record straight of you're the authority source. One of the first things out of your mouth should be, here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. Here's what we're doing to find out what we don't know, and here's when we will we uh, plan to tell you when we find out our next update. That should set the record straight, so that if there are rumors out there, um, and this happens quite a bit, if there is a fire on a military base, people will think, is it an explosion? Is it a terrorist attack? It could just be a fire. Get out there and say, it's a fire. We don't know the cause yet. What we don't, what we do know, is that it wasn't a terrorist attack, or we don't know if it's like. Make sure that's clear up front. And then, as soon as you figure that out, have that channel ready to go, get that information out and set that record straight, and try to stay in front of those those rumors um, as much much as you can
0: absolutely i I think it's not a it's not a one or the other thing. There's no real distinction. I mean, like you said, uh, Miss Naman, there is so much to know about disinformation, but you already were talking about earlier that you've got to be quick, you got to be first, you got to be that. that source of record, um, and that's a a great first
1: way to get after Mm -hmm. this this disinformation problem. Uh, Sergeant Winton, what else do we have? Is there any time that a crisis or an emergency could be seen as a positive or a good thing?
3: I think we talked about that if you catch an issue uh, in advance before it's a crisis, and that you use that to resolve something before it becomes a crisis.
2: Yeah, every, every form of communication can be seen as a deposit in that that analogy of that savings account of that trust bank. So whether it's a mission you did successfully or whether it's uh, someone you, like let's say the, the, your organization internally found someone breaking like a finance rule or mm-hmm. misusing funds. We found them, we held this person accountable and here's a safety check that we're gonna implant so that this doesn't happen again because we are a responsible organization. And you've, what you've done is you've said that if there is a problem, our organization can handle it internally. And so then that worry of what else is going on in that organization isn't there so much because that trust and confidence is there.
0: Yes, and before the show we were talking a little bit and in some cases it may be the the opportunity for your uh, organization to shine, really execute the thing that it does well. Um, Even if it is a a situation that no one, everyone would rather avoid, maybe you're able to show how you perform and and really uh, operate at the highest level. I do think that's it for us uh, today. So I wanna say thank you very much for taking the time, talking with me, uh, talking to our viewers, our listeners. Uh, we had really good interaction, so I know it was valuable. And again, truly appreciate your time. And thank you all for joining us today for Dinfo's Live. If you have any questions we didn't answer during the show, leave them in the comments and we'll answer them in the next few days. You can find links to everything we talked about in today's show notes. Don't forget, you can also download the show as a podcast on your podcatcher of choice. Just search for DINFOs Live. Join us next month on June 29th, where we'll be going to Joint Base Anacostia Bowling to talk to their public affairs team and our first ever DINFOs Live on the road. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for joining us.